Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, we read, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknow, or foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many, many brethren. Moreover, and, and as we see there, as, that, as, as God foreknew, as God looks on, because he's, he's sovereign, he is at all places, at all times. That doesn't mean just in a location all at one time, but in a time period. God is sovereign. He is beyond time. Um, and, and that's something that it's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around. But God sees today just as easy as he sees 10,000 years from now or 10,000 years before. Um, God has that ability to do that. And so it's in that that um, don't let that be a stumbling block for you. Let's just use that as understanding that, hey, man, we serve a God that can see all things. And he's in all places at all times. Now, that doesn't mean that he's a pantheistic God. That doesn't mean that he's this, that this is God, this pulpit is God. No, God's not the pulpit. God is God. But he's in this place. He is in and everywhere. David, you remember the psalmist, he writes, he goes, Where can I flee from your presence, O Lord? If I go into the depths of the ocean, you're there. If I descend even into the depths of hell, you're there. If I ascend into the highest of heavens, you're there. Where can I flee from your presence? The, the inference, and it's a, it's a, uh, uh, it's a question that, that is an obvious answer to. And that is, and I couldn't remember that word. What is that word? A rhetorical. It's a rhetorical question that the psalmist says, you know, where can I flee from your, from your presence? It's a rhetorical question that says, well, that's, it's nowhere. I can't go anywhere to get away from your presence. And so God, in that place, he saw you, he predestined you, he called you. And you know, as we talked a little bit about that last week in verse 29, it says, um, um, Or in verse 28, he loved you to those who were called according to his purpose. Um, I'm sorry, verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. He called. If you have been called, you have to answer. We talked a little bit about that last week. I don't want to get into the whole Calvinism, Arminianism discussion as we did last week. Know this. God picked you, but you must pick God. I don't want to get into a theological debate, but that's what the Bible teaches. God picked you. Well, then am I supposed to pick God? Yeah, of course you're supposed to pick God. Well, if God picked me and I have no choice, I mean, he, Jesus says, I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you from the foundation of the world. Well, then really, then what's my responsibility? The Bible has, uh, uh, let me get the number. There's a number in here of... Uh, 3,692 times the Bible uses the word if in the Bible. It's, it's a conditional book. If you do this, then this happens. 3,962 times the Bible says, if you do this, then this will happen. If you call upon me, I will hear from heaven and I will come. If you confess me with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him, me from the dead, then you will be saved. If then, if then, if then, it's a condition. It's a conditional offer to you. Are you called? Well, I don't know. Maybe God didn't call me. Well, then call on him because he says, I will, he who calls on me, I will in no wise cast out. He's not going to turn you away. He wants you in heaven. The Bible tells us, Peter tells us, God does not, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
That tells me that God didn't design you to go to hell. God designed you to go to heaven and he wants you to be in heaven. And if you don't go to heaven in the end and your argument before God is appointing an accusatory finger at him and saying, well, it's your fault because you didn't choose me. He will show you, shower you with scripture after scripture after scripture where it was your responsibility also to call upon him. For God so loved the world that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. That means you must believe on him. It's in your court. He did his part. He sent his son. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. Now the ball's in your court. There's the gift. Are you going to receive the gift or are you going to reject the gift? It's up to you. It's a conditional thing on your part. So here's the, here's the question. Are you called? The only way to know if you're called is if you respond and you say, yes, I was. And you come, to, you come to Christ. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done in life. Christ wants to give you life. He wants to give you life. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. We talked about those two terms last week, justified. You remember, just as if I'd never sinned. You remember we talked about that last week? And glorified. God already sees you in the heavens. Again, remember, God living in no time and space, God is God. He doesn't live just in the present, but he lives in the past just as well as he lives in the future, just as well as he lives in the present. He can live in all realms, and we can't, again, fully grasp that because we have nothing to compare to God. And yet, that's what the Bible teaches And so here's the thing. What God sees already in the future, he sees you. He already sees you as being glorified. If you're a Christian, he already sees you as being glorified. But he then goes on and he says in verse 31, and this is another, there's so many little verses in here that are just like, you know, uh, monumental verses here in this Romans chapter 8 passage. We're going to probably get out of this chapter in about 2016. Um, because we're spending some time in here. There's a lot of things that are in this chapter. But he says here, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he, and then Paul, he takes this, he says, if God be for us, who shall be against us? And then he gives a reasoning behind him even making that statement. He says, think about it. Now, he doesn't use the words think about it, but the inference is here. If God be for us, who can be against us? He says, think about it. He, God, didn't even spare his only son, but he delivered him up for us all. How shall God, how shall he, not with Jesus, his son, also freely give us all things? That's the end of my passage that I'm going to read today. If God be for us, who shall be against us? Uh, The whole idea behind God being for us, think about it. God being for us. You've got uh, uh, the creator of the universe behind you. Who's got your back? Jesus. Who's got your back? Jesus does. He is the one that is behind you. He is the one that is in you. And not only is he behind you or beside you or above you or below you, he's your rear guard. He's, a, he's, he's, all around. he's in you. 
He's also in you. So here's the thing. You've got the creator of the universe that is living inside of you. He calls you the apple of his eye. And, and so here you have God living inside of you. And if you live in fear, if you live in fear, when you walk out of the doors of your house, when you're living in your life, you know, your everyday life, and, and you have fear and you live by fear, you're doing a dishonor to the one who resides in you. For if God is for you, who can be against you? Well, the, the, I don't know, the people outside. Who cares if the people outside are against you? You know, it, it's, it, 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 might be, it might be the government is against me. The government has come and they, they go, but God is going to endure forever. Well, it might be them guys. Who are them guys? I don't know. It's just them guys. You've got this irrational fear of them guys. Who are them guys? I don't know. Have they ever bothered you before? No, but just in case they ever do, I'm afraid of them. If God be for you, who can be against you? When we look at Scripture and we think of, we think of men who, who lived with that understanding that, hey, man, God's on my side. Who shall I fear? Think of David, you know, going against Goliath. You remember that story, right? Going out there to the valley of Elah and all of the Israelites are quaking in their boots because here's this, you know, ginormous, ginormous giant by the name of Goliath that's out there standing in the valley going, hey, let's not fight, you know, you know, a, a full-on army against an army. Let's not kill everybody. Let's just... Have your best man come out here and fight me. And whoever wins, then the other army will serve. And none of the Israelites wanted to go out there because they saw how big he was. He was too great. How many Goliaths do you have in your life? You know, God is big, but I mean, you know, this is just too big for him. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that maybe your problem in your life that you think, man, it's just, you know, I know that people say to pray, but I just think that I got to do different things because, I mean, there's, this is just too big for prayer. And you think of the silliness when, we, when, when you hear me say that, you go, oh, yeah, that is kind of silly. But you know what? I'm afraid that a lot of us live with that irrational fear in our life. David ran out there. He went out there simply to go give, you know, some cheese and some, some drinks to his, to his brothers, you know, some bread. You know, they didn't have the government that would, you know, send out a bunch of food. I mean, families would provide for their, you know, the soldier sons. And David was sent out there to, to, he was the youngest of the whole group. And he was sent out there by his father, Jesse, and said, hey, go on out there and feed your brothers. Stay out of the way. David goes out there, he gives all this food. But in the midst of going out there, he goes out there and he's looking at these two, you know, armies one on each side of the valley i've been there in that, that valley and looking at one hill where the philistines were and looking at the other hill where the israelites were and and, and he goes over there and he starts talking to his brothers and he's giving them food but he can't get his eyes off that valley he's going my goodness here's a battle this is where the battle was going to be huh wow i mean god's on our side right what are we freaking out for why are we over here why aren't we just going why aren't we moving forward and then he heard it. 
Goliath stomping out onto the you know, middle of the, the riverbed out there, you know, that valley. And Goliath screams out and David goes, whoa. What's he saying? What's he saying? David doesn't even look at the guy's size. He just hears what he has to say. Mono and mono, you're best against me. Let's fight to the death. And David's going, hey, man, that's cool. I mean, nobody has to die. Just, just him. So who's going on our side? I mean, that's just a great offer. And they're going, shh, David, 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 quiet. We don't have anybody on our side. We're freaking out. We're, we're frightened. We're frightened. And, and David, he's just a young kid. He's like, wait, 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 wait. Let me get this straight. God, the creator of the universe, created everything bigger than Goliath on our side. And we're afraid of that guy? Don't you see how big he is? I do, with my human eyes, he's a pretty big guy. But with my spiritual eyes, the guy's nothing compared to God. Isn't God for us? Well, yeah, but Goliath's too big. Is Goliath too big for you? David says, that puny punk out there? That punk thinks he's bigger than God? You guys think that punk's bigger than God? Hey, David, quiet down. He might hear you. And he'll get mad and he'll kill you. David, don't say anything. They'll hear you. David goes, I don't care. I serve the living God. He created the heavens and the earth. Who is this wimp? Don't say wimp. He didn't say wimp. That's my interpretation. Who? Who? Who does this guy think he is? I'll take him on. What? You're just a kid. You're just a kid. Stop it. David's brothers go, oh, you just are out here because you want to see the battle of a war. You know, don't you know that you're supposed to be as afraid as we are? You're just trying to make a name for yourself. Really? By going out and dying? They're just frightened. They're trying to subdue their brother because they don't want to see him dead. Because they have no faith that their God is able to deliver. But it's the other soldiers that are so frightened that they don't care about David's brothers. They grab David and they whisk him away and they take him to King Saul and say, King Saul, we've got a guy right here that wants to fight. He says he can do it. Where is he? He's looking around. Well, he's right there. Well, I see a boy, but where's the guy that's going to fight? Well, it's King Saul. It, it, it's the boy. Boy, you want to go out and fight? You're just a little ruddy kid. Well, yeah, I'll fight him. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Listen, King David said, I'm a shepherd. I've been out in the wilderness, and when a bear comes and takes one of my sheep, I'd chase the stinking thing down and I'd take care of business. Kill the bear. A lion comes out and takes one of my sheep. I'll go after the lion and I'll kill the lion. I've killed bears. I've killed lions. Who does this freak think he is sitting out there defiling God? He's our God. That he's sitting out there saying that God is not powerful enough to kill him. If I can kill a bear and a lion in the strength of the Lord, I can kill this guy. This guy's nothing. This guy's like cake. 
So Saul goes, well, oh, 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 okay, because I'm afraid. I don't want to go out there either. Saul was the tallest one of all the armor, of all the soldiers. He was the tallest guy in all. Everybody's looking to Saul. Come on, man, are you going to be the one fighting? I ain't fighting him. Dude's too big. Plus, I'm a king. I should not do those kinds of things, you know? David goes, hey, I'll kill him. I'll take him out for you. Well, all right. Shows you just how fearful Saul was. All right, well, well, here's the thing. Put my armor on him. You ever think about that? Put my armor on David. Because now maybe everybody will think that it's me going out there and killing him. Just by chance this kid does do it, you know? David puts on this thing. I get this idea of this helmet that just goes, and it doesn't even hit the top of his head. It just hits his shoulders, you know? He's going, I can't fight in this stuff. This is too big. I don't need man's armor. I don't need what you have to offer. All I have is God. That's all I need. I've done it. I can do it. It's not a big deal. I said, okay. So here's little David cruising down the hillside. Dink, 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 you know? And here's Goliath standing out there at his appointed time of the day. Hey, who are you going to send out here? Who is that? Hey, little boy. You're in the middle of a battleground, you see. David goes, yeah, I'm the soldier. You? You Israelites, he screams out. You send a little boy to me? What, am I a dog? He got a little stick in his hand? What's he going to do? Is this the best you have to offer? It's got to be. Israelites, stupid. You know. <coughs> Come here, little boy. You know what I'm going to do to you? I'm going to rip your head from your body, and I'm going to take your carcass, and I'm going to throw it off, and the birds are going to eat your innards, man. Raw. And here's the thing. It's scary. Wouldn't you be scared? Not David. David goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's on our side. I've killed lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. This guy is nothing. Here's the thing. If God's on my side, God can use anything to take this guy out. So here Goliath says this great threat Because isn't that what it is? Isn't that the biggest things? The biggest things that we're fearful of are the things, it's it's the bark. Oftentimes we're more afraid of the bark than we are of the bite. It's the bark. They're out there, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And David goes, I'm not afraid of your bark. In fact, David just kind of dishes it right back to Goliath. Infuriates him probably all the more. In fact, he does. He goes, oh yeah? I, I think... I don't know. I'd like to see this scene in heaven, but I think David threw his hand up. Oh, yeah? You come out here? I think his his voice was a little high at the time, too. You come out here defiling God and the armies of God? And and you? You think you're going to kill us? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut your head off, and I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. And, and, and Goliath's going, I 
can't believe, I, you know, kind of borrowing from Ken Graves, you guys are humiliating me. You're sending me a boy. This offends my esteem because I'm a big monster. And you send a boy out here with a high voice and a stick. I'm a, I'm a giant, for goodness sake. Send a big guy out here. David goes, I'm going to take your head off. Goliath goes, okay. Come here, boy. Pulls out his sword. Starts running to David. David starts running to him. David reaches down and goes, hey, here's some stones. He takes five stones, puts four of them in his pocket. Takes one stone, puts it in his sling. And he starts swinging that sling. And it's just a pocket with some strings on it. Just a leather pouch right here with some strings on it. One's wrapped around a hand. The other's held on. The other part of the strap is held on. And David starts swinging that rock and he's running over. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I'm sure that probably at that time, David's arm felt probably pretty strong. He throws this Nolan Ryan pitch right at Goliath as he gets up close to him. And it nails him right between the eyes. I don't know that Goliath even saw what came at him, but he hits his knees and he hits his face and he's done. Now, before this fight happens, what do you think's going on in the Philistine side of the mountain? They're sitting there going, you stupid kid, the stupid Israelites, you're sending a kid out there. We're going to go right on, man. They are going to have to serve us from this day forward. This is so cool. This is great. This is wonderful. Now, Go to the other side of the valley. Here's the Israelites. Oh, man, why did we send out a kid? Man, we're all going gonna to be serving these people for the rest of our lives. Oh, my goodness. Why would King Saul do this? He sent out a kid out there, and, man, we're going to die. We're going to do this. And, and, and from the earthly perspective, everybody's going, poor David, he's going to die. But now just peel back the... the, the, the 2D or 3D spectrum a little bit and look at it from the 8D spectrum of God, if you will. I don't know how many spectrums he has, but as he's sitting there and you look down and you see all these angels, if you will, kind of hanging out on clouds. They're kind of looking over going, whoa, check it out. It's the little guy. It's David. It's the guy who always trusts in the Lord. He sings praise songs to the Lord. He prays all the time out in the wilderness. God's delivered him by using, you know, killing lions and tigers and bears and all those things. And here he is. That poor Goliath. He doesn't stand a chance. He doesn't stand a chance. Totally two different perspectives. Looking at it from the earthly aspect, there's no way that Goliath's going down. Looking from a heavenly perspective, Goliath's going down. And so, David throws the rock, boom, hits him in the face, boom, Goliath hits the ground. David goes over and tries to pick up the sword, which is so heavy he can barely even get it up. He's right dragging the, you know, the point of it on the ground. And the Philistines are probably sitting there going, don't pick that sword up. What are you doing? He's picking the, Goliath, get up. You're just knocked out. David picks up the sword. Boom. Goes over his head. Did he just do what we saw him do? David reaches down, probably having to take both hands and use his back because his mom told him how to pick up things. Picks up Goliath's head. 
dripping with blood. The impossible has just happened. Who did that surprise in that whole valley? Everybody, except one person, didn't it? David went into that battle knowing who was going to defeat who. David went in the battle knowing that God was on his side, that God had his back, that God was there. You and I, we face Goliaths all the time, gang. What do you do with your Goliaths? Do your Goliaths keep you locked up in a closet in fear? Do they keep you locked up in your house in fear? Do they keep your faith at at basically an elementary stage because you're so afraid of what the world can throw at you that you're afraid to take a step out in faith and trust that God is going to protect you and he's going to be with you. And it's the whole purpose of here, of what we've been trying to do over the last few weeks, and that is we're going to trust God. We're going to believe that though the world might look on us and go, man, that's a weird church. They pray a lot. I don't care. Oh, that's a weak church. They pray a lot. I want to be a strong church. I want to seek God's face because I want to see God start taking down castles, earthly castles down here in this earth. I believe that those that we've been praying for that in, and, and things that we've been praying for for so long, and, and it's just kind of that, that quick little shoot, you know, shot up to prayer. Hey, God, uh, save my, you know, my best friend. Okay, it's probably not going to happen, but I mean, I'm gonna, I've got to say it anyways because that's technically what I'm supposed to say as a Christian. You're praying like, a, like, a, like an Israelite in the Valley of Elah. We're going to stand here because we're supposed to, because the King Saul told us we're supposed to stand here and we're supposed to look brave, but we're freaking out. We can't defeat this thing. He's too big. I want us to stop praying like the Israelites, sitting there quaking, looking over the mountain down into the valley of Elah at the big giants that are out there, the Goliaths in our life. I want us to take on a faith that David had and say, listen, if God be for us, who can be against us? And if anyone is, who cares? Who cares who is against us? Who cares who who is against you if you have the Lord on your side directing your steps? It's called the life of faith. And that right there, my friends, is something that we don't see a lot of today. And man, I want us to have it. Oh, come on, Pastor Don. You're such a small church. We're such a small church. How big of a difference can we make? I don't know. Jesus turned the world upside down with 11 guys. We've got them outnumbered. What can you do? What can I do? What can we do if we take God at his word? We seek his face. It was important for Jesus to get up in the morning and pray. Why can't we pray? It's important for Jesus to pray to his fathers. Why can't we pray to our father? Why is it awkward? It shouldn't be awkward. It should be the most natural thing that we ever do in our life. Because apart from our relationship with God, apart from our dependence, utter, total, complete dependence and surrender upon the Holy Spirit, we are just doing life. And I don't, I don't really think a whole lot of things are going to change in my life or your life as Christians. I see great men and women of faith be used because they have a total dependence upon God. 
They have a strength that comes from somewhere that nobody can, can explain other than their relationship that they have with God through prayer. Gang, I want to have a prayer life in such a way. It's not easy. Let me tell you, I'm a pastor. It's not easy. You can ask my wife. We try to pray. We don't pray all the time. I'm trying to institute back in and praying with my wife. I'm trying to. And I'll tell you, honestly, the moment that we have taken this course on, we've had sickness, we've had major issues that are going on in our homes or in our, in our extended home with, with Lynette's mom and dad, you know, where we were separated for about 10 days, 12 days. The moment that we put this into practice, all of a sudden, it just seems like all hell breaks loose. Is that a coincidence? No, it's not. But I, for one, am am wanting my wife, my son, my life, my family, and my church to take on a role of saying, you know what, here's the thing. We're going to stand strong and we're going to pray as a church. We're going to pray in belief. Do you know, since we, we did this, what, four weeks ago? I've only been back once. It's like, it's like everything gets in the way. Distractions, this, that. You know, my elder was sick last week. He couldn't be here. Or, or my assistant pastor was sick last week. He couldn't be here. My other assistant pastor is not here today because he's sick. Here's the thing, we're sick. I think that those are not coincidences. I think that those are shots over the bow from the enemy because the enemy sees, hey, we're taking God serious and we're going to do what God says. We're going to do what God says. And so we may get shot by the enemy. But you know what? No bullet fashioned against us will stand. Not if we trust God. If God be for us, who can be against us? If anyone else is, who cares? I don't care if it's Satan himself. I said this to somebody this last week, and I'll finish with this, and that's this. We get so freaked out on the enemy. We get so freaked out on Satan. We think, man, Satan is so big, so powerful, so everything. Here's the thing. We have been duped into believing. Satan has duped this world into believing that he is the equal of God. He is not the equal of God. You ever see a a turkey be frightened but try to scare you away? Turkey is kind of like, it's not all that big until you go up and threaten it. All of a sudden, you know, it throws out its feathers, you know, and it starts doing this. It's big. It's, it's, those feathers might get me. What? Feathers? Here's the thing. That's what Satan likes to do to you and I. He likes to ruffle out his feathers and say, I'm big, I'm mean, I'm scary, I'm nasty. You better watch out for me. And, and, and here's the thing. He's not God's equal. Jesus says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's not freak out on Satan anymore. People who freak out on Satan, people, if you are one of those people, and I'll pray for you. You want me to pray for you? I'll pray for you personally. But if you're afraid of a demon around every corner, if you're afraid, well, Satan's going to get me this, and I, I have this really frightened, you know, this thing about Satan and the demons and everything... Quit focusing on that and focus on a relationship that you have with Christ because here's the thing. He's greater in you than he that is in the world. You don't have to freak out on on the enemy. I never saw Jesus at anywhere, and I would ask you to show me where Jesus, when he's dealing with Satan, that he ever raises his voice, where he says, uh, uh, he never stammers. He just says it like it is. He says, depart from me. Get behind me, Satan. He doesn't freak out. He's in control. 
We don't have to freak out on the enemy. When the enemy knows that you're afraid of him, he's going to ruffle his feathers all the more. He's going to make you believe that he's bigger than what he is, and you have made him bigger than what he is, and so stop it. Stop it. You've got the God of the universe inside of you. Do not let the enemy rip you off of one more day. I don't care how big that giant Goliath is out there. He's not bigger than God. You and I, we need to trust the power of the Holy Spirit that God has placed in our hearts. We've got to trust that God has a plan for our life. And you know what? I'm going to live. I don't care what happens in my life. I want to live for Christ. And I want to, I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. I'm going to live for Christ today. I'll let the chips fall where they may. I want to do it as a family. I want to do it as a man. I want to do it as a church. I want you to do it. I want us to do it together. What can God do with us? Oh. From an earthly sense, I look around and go, yeah, we're not super, super strong, Lord. I'm not. But what can you do if I surrender? What, what would you do if I believe you and take you at your word? That's where God says, then I'll be able to work. He'll be able to work in your life. Amen. Father, thank you so much for today. Help us, Lord, to continue to see you for who you are. Or maybe help us to take a fresh look and see you for maybe the first time of who you are. We've relegated you maybe down to something that is some mythological person that stories are written about instead of a personal God that interacts with his kids on a day-by-day basis. There's nothing magical about it. There's simply obedience and surrender. I pray, God, that you help us to step out of this zone that we have allowed ourselves to get into this 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 place where we have fallen in line with what every other church does i'm not i don't want to change church simply to change church so that we can be oh that church is doing something different let's run over there god i don't want that i don't want any of that i don't want to to infuse this church with other church members from other places because they're tired of where their church what their church is doing god i want to see brand new believers in here I want to see, God, I want to see people freed, liberated from the bondage of sin. I want to see people healed from sickness. I want to see people uh, saved from a life that is completely and totally departed from you. I want to see transformed lives, God, but it's got to start with me. It's got to start with us. I don't want a church that simply grows because we're doing something different. I just want to simply be the church that does what it is that you want us to do. Not saying that any other church is doing it the wrong way. I don't mean to do that. That's not my intention. My intention is to say, God, this is what I believe you want a church to be. Teaching, yes. Prayer, must. Prayer must be the emphasis of our service. Help us to grow. And help us to be the church that you want us to be. God, help me to be the man you want me to be so I can lead. God, I'm scared. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. And, and, and that might cause fear in some of these people's hearts, but God, I don't know. I've never done this before. I trust that you're going to show me. I feel awkward when it's real quiet in a room and nobody's saying anything because God, I, I know that I want you 
I want you to touch their lives, God. I want you to, I want you to touch every one of these kids in this room with you. God, I, I want us to have the, an understanding that, God, you, you really want to interact with your people. And we've held it back. God, I, I want a I living, breathing, true New Testament Acts church. I want to see, God, your, your Holy Spirit come upon this place. And I want to see us have this close relationship that I read about in the New Testament. I read about it. I see what they did. And I see the marvelous acts that you did through those churches. God, I want that for us. Not so that we'd be something, but that we'd be what you want us to be. God, I, I want... I want a new chapter in the book of Acts being written right now of this church, right now of these people in this room, whether they stay here or whether they go somewhere else. It doesn't matter. God, may we truly be completely and totally surrendered, expecting you to do a work in our lives because God, we're just a social club otherwise. I don't want to be that. I want to watch you transform lives. I want to see people dependent upon you once again when there's nothing else that they can depend on when there's nothing else they can count on they count on you completely and totally it breaks my heart just this this child that just passed away yesterday but it was a reminder to me that oftentimes in the tragedies that we have in life how close we draw to you in tragedies how dependent we become to you in tragedies. How utterly dependent and, and the words that are so bold that come out of our mouth about you, God, in the midst of, of tragedies, of, of, of difficult situations when someone we love is so sick that we cry out and we share with anyone, God is able to do this. I believe that God can do a miracle. I believe that God can do this and I believe God can do that. And God is the source of my strength and God is this and God is that. And Lord, those are great. I never want to tear down on that. And that's not my intention here. But God, may we live in that on a day by day basis, whether or not we have someone ill in the hospital or not God may we just be completely and totally dependent on you crying out for you because God without you we can't do life I don't want to be 80 years old and die and look back on my life and go what was it for God you placed me you placed us you placed every individual here on this earth for a reason is it simply to just carry on like I have been, like we have been? Or do you have something greater? Do you have something different for us? I pray, God, that this church can have an utter dependence on you and that we trust you in ways that we never have experienced before in our life. And I don't even know what that means other than I just have to trust you. I pray for every individual in this room, Lord, that they pray the same thing over their life. Make their lives matter. The days are coming very, very, very quickly where wishy-washy Christianity is not going to be tolerated upon in the face of this earth. You're either going to be a Christian or you're not. You're either going to be a true follower of Christ or you're not.
and it may cost a life. God, may we resolve right now in our life that you are worth living for and you are worth dying for for the rest of our days. Because Lord, no matter what happens in this earth, you're on our side. You've got our back. We trust you with it. Help us not to fear the things that the world may do to us, but help us to see you and trust you with our lives. No matter what. In joy, in triumph, in desperation, in tragedy, Lord, may we have that same attitude that God, apart from you, we are nothing. May we live that life for the remainder of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.